0: The view that this is a, a blanket rule that that will stop any development whatsoever from occurring on the tongas just has not been borne out
1: on tonight's krbd evening report the biden administration moves to reinstate the roadless rule in the Tongass national forest plus officials record ketchikan's 13th covid 19 death all that and more coming up first let's take a look at the weather scattered rain and snow showers tonight with lows in the mid 30s and north winds to 10 miles an hour Saturday, rain with snow likely, no accumulation, highs around 40 and east winds to 15 miles an hour. Saturday night, rain with lows around 40 and southeast winds to 25 miles an hour. Sunday, rain highs in the mid-40s and southeast winds to 20 miles an hour. And Sunday night, rain that may be heavy at times with lows around 40 and south winds to 20 miles an hour. It's the KRBD Evening Report. I'm Eric Stone. The Biden administration says it's taking formal steps to restore roadless rule protections to more than half of the Tongass National Forest. It's the latest turn in decades of fighting over access to southeast Alaska's federal forest lands for logging, energy, and mining. Coast Alaska's Jacob Resnick reports.
2: Successive Alaska governors have opposed the roadless rule since the Clinton administration put it in place in 2001. It's been an on-again and off-again situation since then, with legal battles and politics coming into play. Now, President Biden's Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack, who oversees the Forest Service, is calling a do-over. It says a two-month comment period will soon open as part of a formal process to reinstate the roadless rule.
0: I don't know how many times the uh, Vilsack can announce the same thing and have it sound like news.
2: That's Juno attorney Jim Clark, who has been coordinating a legal effort with resource industries to preserve the Tongass exemption from the rule rule. He says the rhetoric around the rule's protections of ancient forests is overblown.
0: All this uh, new exemption would do is open up 168,000 acres to uh, timber harvest that wasn't pre- previously open. You wouldn't know that from listening to the news. You'd think that uh, all of the Tongass is going to be subject to clear-cutting.
2: And it's true, while the rule change could affect more than 9 million acres, less than 170,000 acres of that would be old-growth timber that could be logged under the current exemption. Governor Mike Dunleavy directed the state to join a lawsuit filed by Resource Industries, but the Court of Appeals dismissed the lawsuit just days ago, saying last year's roadless exemption is still in force and the case was moot. The governor's chief of staff is Randy Ruro, who hails from the former logging boom town of Ketchikan. He calls the Biden administration's new announcement federal overreach and says it ignores laws in the books that direct the Forest Service to make timber available to industry. We dispute the discretion of the secretary to arbitrarily
0: decide from Washington, D.C. to not follow those federal statutes and uh, impose the roadless rule on the Tongass.
2: But opinion polls and the public record from hearings show support for the ruler's rule, both in Alaska and outside. In Southeast, it has defenders from growing non-extractive industries like commercial fishing and tourism. And tribes whose traditional homelands are in what's now Tongass National Forest also railed against the Trump administration's rollback, both in hearings and in courtrooms. That's because the legacy of clear and other development conflicted with rural residents' hunting and fishing traditions. Don Hernandez chairs the Regional Advisory Council on Federal Subsistence. It spent hours taking testimony over roadless.
1: It had just become pretty
0: obvious over a long period of time that the areas of the Tongass that were most significantly impacted by past logging were all suffering uh, harms to subsistence uses.
2: Hernandez is a commercial fisherman who lives on the northern tip of Prince of Wales Island that's almost completely blanketed by federal forest land. He says the council heard loud and clear that people were worried about more old-growth logging.
0: And to expand that into other areas of the Tongass that uh, people have come to rely on to meet their subsistence needs was just not going to be acceptable.
2: To federal policymakers, the Tongass has seen less from a lens of conserving hunting and fishing grounds and more as a bulwark against climate change. The Pew Charitable Trust's Ken Raitt, who worked on developing the roadless rule under the Clinton administration in the 1990s, says it's a recognition by the Biden administration that forests need to be kept intact to sequester carbon.
0: You know, there's nowhere in the U.S. where this is more important than the Tongass National Forest. And so the decision is the right one for the Tongass, but it's also the right one for the nation as a whole.
2: The resource industry and many of Alaska's elected leaders complain that red tape will further lock up federal lands to energy and mining. But Rate says there are safeguards in the rule. The Forest Service can, and does, issue waivers for projects in the public interest, more than two dozen to date,
0: he says. The view that this is a, a blanket, rule that that will stop any development whatsoever from occurring on the tongue. This just has not been borne out by the history of this issue.
2: How exactly the Biden administration plans to reverse the Trump administration policy still isn't clear, says Juno attorney Jim Clark. Uh,
0: it, it's just a situation where we have to wait and see what the administration is actually doing and uh, in order to determine how it's going to impact uh, the exemption and uh I guess we'll stay tuned until next Tuesday, and we'll see what they what
2: they do. That Tuesday is when the Biden administration rolls out its plans for bringing back the roadless rule. If the last go-around is any indication, it'll be a drawn-out affair, as it took more than two years to exempt the Tongass. During those hearings, the federal government says more than 95% of people nationwide supported keeping the roadless rule in place. The Trump administration overturned it anyway. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Jacob Resnick.
1: A Ketchikan man in his 50s has died of COVID-19, according to the State Health Department, bringing Ketchikan's COVID-19 death toll to 13. Officials reported the death on Friday, but it's not immediately clear when the death occurred. Authorities tallied a total of 20 Alaska resident deaths on Friday after the normal death certificate review process, including fatalities that happened between April and October. Health officials reported 13 new cases of COVID-19 on Ketchikan's pandemic dashboard as of 5 p.m. Friday. 103 cases are listed as active. A Peace Health Ketchikan Medical Center webpage updated by 11 a.m. daily says eight people are hospitalized in Ketchikan. The public health dashboard, updated shortly before 4.30 p.m., says six are hospitalized. In the past seven days, there have been 106 new positives. The state-issued COVID-19 alert level for Ketchikan is high. That's the maximum level. Ketchikan's COVID-19 dashboard is available at the borough's website, that's kgbak.us, and the state's is at data.coronavirus.alaska.gov. On Friday, Prince of Wales Island health officials reported no new cases of COVID-19 since their previous update on Monday, November 15th. Three Prince of Wales Island residents have died of COVID-19 since the pandemic began. Prince of Wales Island-based health officials say the island's risk level is moderate with two active cases. More information is available at the Craig Public Health COVID-19 hotline at 1-888-894-1321 and on the Prince of Wales Health Network and Wellness Coalition Facebook page. Authorities in Metlakatla reported one new case in their most recent update. That was Thursday evening, November 18th. The risk level in Metlakatla is now down to level two, the second highest mark. Ten cases are active. Updates about COVID-19 in Metlakatla are available at the Metlakatla Indian Community Facebook page. A multinational investment group has purchased a company that invests heavily in multiple Southeast Alaska businesses, including Ketchikan's Survey Point Holdings and Skagway's White Pass and Yukon Route Railroad. KHNS's Mike Swayze reports.
0: Last week, a $2.5 billion deal was reached for Blackstone Infrastructure Partners to purchase Carricks. While that sounds like a global Wall Street deal, it could affect some key players in southeast Alaska's port and tourism trades. In 2018, Carrick's teamed up with Holland America Princess Tours, a subsidiary of Carnival Cruise Lines, and Ketchikan-based Survey Point Holdings to purchase the White Pass and Yukon Route Railroad from a Canadian golf course company for just under $300 million. The group named Bob Birdo as president of the railroad. He and his family split 50% of Survey Point Holdings, while Carrick's owns the other half. Details of the investment partnership that purchased White Pass aren't public record, but Carrick's is a major investor, and its shares will now be controlled by Blackstone. Meanwhile, there's a new chairman of the board at Carrick's, Blackstone's Senior Managing Director Sebastian Sherman. Blackstone was founded by CEO Stephen Schwarzman, who is on the Forbes list of the world's wealthiest people, ranking at number 79. And the company he controls has a controversial past when it comes to investments in housing and in medicine. Skagway Mayor Andrew Cremata says he has questions about what Blackstone's investment could mean for Skagway's largest private employer. What's their attitude toward White Pass? Is it in their wheelhouse? Is it an asset as a tourist attraction that they're interested in? Since they're not going to be in control of the waterfront post-2023 in the uplands, how are they going to react to that asset? Is What's their future plans for the asset? To maintain it as a tourist railroad and maintain its historical significance as a narrow-gauge railway? Or are they going to come in and turn it into you know, a standard-gauge rail that's shipping stuff to and from the Yukon? But Blackstone was already a 20% investor in Carrick's. They are now buying out the remaining shares held by the Smith and Hemingway families who started the company back around 1950. Skagway's chair of the Ports and Harbors Committee, Tom Cochran, says he doesn't think big changes are coming. Carricks has been pretty silent the whole time anyway, ever since the purchase of the railroad. They've never really, you know, made their presence known that I'm aware of, unless maybe they did with, with the elected officials, but you know, it's always been kind of a Bob Burdo Survey Point Holdings show. They're you know, they're obviously the public face. Calls to Survey Point Holdings and Blackstone on Monday and Tuesday were not returned. However, White Pass representatives released a statement saying Blackstone had a solid investment history. It says Ketchikan-based Survey Point Holdings would continue to manage the railroad. The deal is expected to close next April. Reporting from Skagway, I'm Mike Swayze.
1: The Juno School District is no longer requiring students to quarantine at home after being exposed to someone who tests positive for COVID-19. As KTOO's Bridget Dowd reports, instead, families now have the option to use antigen tests before sending their kids out the door.
3: The school district received 850 antigen tests from the state. They're being distributed to families on a case by case basis when students are exposed to someone who's COVID positive. Juno School District Superintendent Bridget Weiss says so far this month, that's happened about six times. In each of those cases, we were able to eliminate the need for students to quarantine. And so far, none of those tests have come back positive. In the past, when unvaccinated students were exposed, they had to stay home from school for seven days. They would get a PCR test on day five to make sure they were clear, and they could return to school on day eight. Until recently, all elementary school students were unvaccinated, which meant frequent quarantines for classes in those grade levels. Now, when unvaccinated students are exposed, the family can decide whether they'd like to quarantine or pick up antigen tests to use for the week instead. We give them to the parents when we notify them that their child was a close contact and they test their child before school with a negative on that antigen test, then they can send their kid to school. Juno Public Health still suggests those kids stay away from community activities during that time. If the student develops symptoms at any point during that period, they have to get a PCR test instead. They're also required to get a PCR test on day five, even if they don't develop symptoms. If that leaves you wondering what the difference is between an at-home antigen test and a PCR lab test, you're not alone. Juno Emergency Manager Robert Barr says a PCR test is much more sensitive.
0: By sensitive, I mean it requires a lot less of the virus in the sample
2: to return a positive result. Whereas an antigen test is not as sensitive, so
0: you need more of that virus on the specimen in order for it to return a positive result.
3: So a PCR test will detect COVID sooner than an antigen test. But Barr says that doesn't mean antigen tests aren't as good.
2: It's generally thought that the amount of viral load that you need to be infectious correlates pretty well with the sensitivity of antigen tests. So while a PCR test might detect you a little bit sooner, even before you're infectious, antigen tests are pretty good at detecting you once you are infectious.
3: Both tests require a nasal swab. The hope is that as more students get vaccinated and as long as they don't show any symptoms, fewer families will have to worry about testing at all. During the first round of city-run vaccine clinics for children 5 and up, 648 kids received a shot. Second-dose clinics for those children will begin the Monday after Thanksgiving. In Juneau, I'm Bridget Dowd.
1: Ketchikan's school district announced Wednesday night that it would also start a test-to-stay program. The program is set to get started after Thanksgiving. That's it for tonight's edition of the KRBD Evening Report. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back Monday. I'm Eric Stone.